Oh, so good to be back up here and see you all. Wasn't that music just excellent? Man, it sounded good. It's nice to sing and nice to have a little bit of normalcy, right? Uh, so what Christian just told you, all true. Everything you said, he said, you can believe, okay? Uh, but what we, what's really true is that we are starting a new series this week called God With Us. Uh, it's the word that we get in the Old Testament Isaiah, that he will be called Emmanuel, right? That's the uh, God with us. So in essence, this is a Christmas series, and we're starting a Christmas series before Thanksgiving. I'm sorry, and I understand if you're frustrated by that as Christmas continues to creep up on all the other holidays, and now Thanksgiving in the past has been known as Black Friday Eve, right? You're just, people are jetting out to go to Best Buy to get their $79 television that they don't need. This year it might be a little different in that I won't be sad to not see that be, uh, for that to be different this year. But there is a reason why we decided to start it this week. And it has everything to do with kind of the premise of what we're going to be talking about. And this idea that God is actually with us. And so we wrestled through the name. I'd share this Thursday night on the, on the weekly vision update. You can always catch that. You can always click on media. And every week there's kind of a, a quick 25 minute, that's quick for me, sorry, um, video kind of updating you on what's going on here and why it's going on. And so as we Every year, as I think about Christmas season, one of the things that you, I want us to ask is, this is actually Jesus' birthday, right? I mean, that's not crazy news. It's Jesus' birthday. Uh, we worship Jesus on Christmas. It literally comes from Christ Mass, the worship of Christ, because it's his birthday. And in the middle of all the chaos, what typically forgets to be asked is, what does the birthday boy want for his birthday? Right? We're all busy doing all the other stuff, and we don't pause long enough to go, well, what does the birthday boy want? And I'll tell you what he wants, and it's the same thing you want. By the way, yeah, uh, I, I, as you, uh, for many of you, and let me just grieve with you here. I mean, we're kind of in the same boat this year, and I love spending time with my wife and three kids on Thanksgiving, but for many of you, you've adjusted your Thanksgiving plans. And for many of you, it is deeply painful. Right? Because one of the things you long for is to sit around the table with your children, your grandchildren, to be in the same space. And some of you made the hard decision. Many of you online made the hard decision to not make the drive or tell your kiddos not to make the drive. And you will go from a party of 15 or 20 to a party of two. And that's deeply painful. And the reason it's deeply painful is because of what you want for Thanksgiving. It's not that you want them to, it's not like you want them to bring their sweet potato casserole, right? That's not what it is. Or a pecan pie, which I don't understand why we've decided to put nuts in desserts. It's not appropriate, guys. It's just not in any way. Nuts do not go in desserts, but sorry. Uh, it's not because of those things, right? Uh, I was expecting an amen. Can I get a honk out in the parking lot? Thank you. Uh, so it's not because of those things. Here's what it is. It's because you long for your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles. You long for their presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, -E, not presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, -E which was what we were going to name the series, Christmas Presents, but then I was going to have to spell it every single time, which is going to take way too long. And so we started, we decided what we'd really, really drill down on is what is it that Christmas is about, and it's about God with us. It's about His presence with us. And so this week, we're going to really understand God's presence, what He offers us, both the gift of presence, right, and the 
presence of himself, right? And so we're going to understand that fully. And so this week, it's all about understanding what God came to do. And then next week, we'll talk about that not only does God bring us his presence, right? He now wants us to take his presence to the world. And he wants us to bring people to his presence, right? And so what does the birthday boy want? We're going to see it in Isaiah chapter uh, 1 today. There's this conversation, and God goes, Look, I'm so tired of your offerings. All these, you know, these sacrifices that are meaningless. I'm t- so tired of you putting things with a bow and wrapping it up and bringing it to my feet. What I long for is at your actual presence, your person who takes yourself into the world and offers my hope and peace and healing. Right? Does good. Loves justice. Seeks and offers mercy and grace. And so... What we're going to do for the next six weeks is take a real deep and meaningful look at Jesus' presence, which is different than what typically happens at Christmas. What you'll see in the month of December, or, or that a lot of people come back to church, go back to church, and there's some pejoratives that I don't, I don't really appreciate. Like a lot of pastors call them like creasters, the people who go to Christmas and Easter, right? And my, my opinion is I'm grateful that you have come whenever you come and hear about this is really great news. But what you typically get in that story of Christmas is the birth story, right? The pageantry, baby, manger, you know, in a you know, barn somewhere. And there's animals and shepherds and wise men and angels and a star, right? You get the pageantry of it. And so you go, oh, yeah, so Jesus was born. That's great. And then you come back and, you know, a few months later, and you go, oh, Jesus died. That's sad. Oh, but he comes back to life. That's great. And kind of that's how we see the story of, of Jesus, the birth and the death story, which are really, really good bookends. But when we talk about what God came to offer us, his presence, where we see it the most uniquely and intentionally is actually in the life of Jesus. So where we've been for the last couple of weeks, or last couple of months, and where we'll stay is something called the Gospel of Luke, okay? Gospel of Luke. And so Luke was a physician turned investigative journalist. Okay, so he was a doctor, and he's going to make some diagnoses. We're going to see it today. He's going to talk about a leper. He's going to write about a, a skin disorder, right? And so he was a doctor hired by this guy named Theophilus to go and investigate the story of Jesus. So Theophilus was probably a Roman official, wealthy, influential, affluential, all those things. And he was wrestling with, about 80 AD, 75 AD, after Jesus had died, been dead for decades, is wrestling with whether or not he should believe in the story of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. So what he does, because he has the... Um, the, uh, the, the resources to do it. He hires this guy, true story, not folklore, myth, or legend, Luke, to go and investigate the story. So Luke goes and meets with eyewitnesses. So while this is, you know, 30, 40 years after Jesus' death, he's still going to meet with those who are still, that were around and saw the story. He would have gone and talked to the shepherds, perhaps talked to Jesus' mother, because Jesus' mother was really young when he was born, right? To have these conversations and talk and uh, investigate the story. So he had met with eyewitnesses. He would have gone and what it tells us is he would have gone and researched all the documentation that would include the Old Testament writings. It would have included probably the, a couple other biographies about Jesus' life, Matthew and Mark. It would have included deeds and all the, the written uh, information from both r- religious and secular works in the, in the first century. He would have gone and done that. And then he also tells us in Luke chapter 1, he went and sat down and listened to all the, the local writers or readers and storytellers. He would have gone and listened to the local pastors and rabbis, and he takes this and he compiles it all. 
compiles the whole story, and he puts it in an orderly account, so kind of chronological, and he says that he does all this so that we could have certainty of the things that we've been taught. So he tells Theophilus, hey, I put together an account, and I'm going to give you some certainty about the things that have been taught. And so what Luke is going to do is he's going to tell the story of Jesus. He's not going to get the whole thing, right? John tells us kind of the same thing in his writing. He says, look, if I were to write all the things that Jesus did, there's not a library that can contain it. But he's going to write a story, true story, a biographical sketch about Jesus that helps us have certainty, helps Theophilus have certainty of the things that were taught. So what was taught? Two pieces. There is the promise and then the fulfillment, right? And so the whole Old Testament is this promise about God's finally at some point going to restore all things and make all things new, make everything sad, untrue. That's what God's going to do. He's going to do all those things. So there's promises. And then there's the fulfillment. And Luke's going to say what you can be certain of is there was a fulfillment. There is a fulfillment. And that fulfillment is actually Jesus. So you got Old Testament, New Testament. So we're going to look at Jesus fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. So what's the greatest promise? Let me tell you the whole story of the Bible. The whole story of the Bible, the whole story of Christianity, the whole story of the gospel is there is one objective and one goal. Ready for this? That you and Jesus would be together forever. That's it. The whole goal of the gospel, the whole goal of Luke's story, the whole goal of 66 books is for us to finally get it, understand that the God of the universe wants you in his presence forever. And here's the really great news that some of us have missed growing up in the church. That doesn't begin when you die. It doesn't begin like this, you die and then you go to heaven. Jesus' presence is available to you today. So the whole goal, the whole promise that God was making is one day there will be a fulfillment and you will be with me again forever. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. So we're going to look over and over again as Jesus brings his presence to people. And he's going to meet their needs. He's going to meet their, uh, you know, their needs of physical healing. He's going to meet, meet their needs of you know, being hungry or thirsty. He's going to meet their needs. But not just so that he can show off, but so they can see that one day everything will be made right and will be fully in his presence. So we've just been charting through the gospel of Luke for the last three or four months, and we're still just going to go verse by verse. This might take us a while. In fact, we're going to read three verses from the gospel of Luke today, okay? So, like I said, it's going to take a while, but definitely be worth your time, and we're going to jump around some other parts. And so how this series is going to work, okay, is uh, so many TV shows are so complicated to me now. Would you agree? Like, they're just like, you gotta, you got to follow so many things. I'm like, I almost need like a flow chart, and I need a whiteboard so I can chronicle all these different things going on. And one of the neat, like, in vogue things in TV shows now is they, they jump around a historical timeline. And I'm not talking about, like, you know, hundreds of years. Some of those do that. But I'm just talking about they keep having these flashbacks to 30 years prior. Then they come to the present time, and then they go to the future. You know what I'm talking about? Like, one of them is This, this Is Us. Many of you watch that show. I don't know why you want to be so sad all the time. Because that's all that show is going to do for you is make it sad. In fact, I almost thought, God with us, this is us. We'll use the same, you know, uh, you know fonts. But it didn't make sense. But the, in that show, it goes back to when these, the, this family, there were some babies. And 
I only watched like four episodes, and I ran out of tissue, so I just stopped watching, watching it. You know, I'm like, oh, you know, so you got, it jumps back from the past before, like, these babies are adopted and born, and then jumps to the present, which sometimes the present is like in the 70s, and it jumps to the new present, which is like 2018, and it's so complicated, right? So those aren't the kind of shows I like. I like these kind of shows that, that one, of the, one of the ways to explain it is it's a new bad guy every week, right? Every week there's a new bad guy. And a group of people get together and they research all the clues, final things. That's why I need a big TV that's high definition. I need to be able to really help them come up with these clues, right? How am I going to solve this if I can't see it in high definition? 4K, 85 inches, whatever that is, right? And so those shows, there's just a new bad guy. A group of people figure it out. It looks like they're not going to catch him. And then finally at the end, they catch him and everything's good. But what those shows in the last couple of years have happened is they like that this is us stuff. So they now have these like weird things. So they solve a problem, but there's some other like other problem hanging out there. You know what I'm talking about? It doesn't make any sense. It's not fair. Let me just watch a show, get complete resolve at the end, and then go to sleep. But uh, for this series, I thought it makes sense that we would do the same thing that this is us has done. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump all over a Bible timeline. So sometimes we're going to go way back to the past. Today we're going to go thousands of years in the past. And then we're going to go way back to the present, like 2020. But I thought in order to do that, it would be helpful for me to create a timeline. So uh, if you can't see right there on the edges, it'll be up here on the screen too. So we're just going to have this timeline, okay? So let me start the timeline for you. Here you go. Oh, yeah, look at that. Perfect. So this isn't enough space. So we'll keep going. More timeline, okay? Oh, I'm oh, sorry. There you go. Time. Aha. Line. Okay, got it? So this is going to be the timeline. Now, the way that I need you to do this, I need you to imagine that this timeline has arrows that go all the way this way, right? This is eternity past, okay? And this timeline on this side has arrows going all the way this way in, uh, you know, in the future. And maybe each day we'll have to adjust them and figure out where they fall. But what we'll do for now is we'll just put November 2020 right here at this end. Okay? We'll put it right here. Just so you're not getting confused. Like, this is the end. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Okay? I'm not telling you that stuff. I promise. I'm telling you. Okay? <laughs> and I have those skills. So right here. Got it? Now, so what we will do is go, okay, we'll put Jesus right here. Got it? So this would be zero... Uh, 30 A.D., so 1,700 years, right? Uh, we'd put Luke and Theophilus. They show up here. Uh, the Bible, uh, the Gospel of Luke written in the 80s, so post-Jesus' death, resurrection. So we got that there. Now, way back in this side, you ready? This is, we're going to put Adam. Okay, Adam. First human. First human, right? And you go, well, I'm not so sure that I believe Adam's the first human. Okay, okay. Could you just agree there was a first human? Well, let's come up with a name for him. Let's call him Adam. Got it? Okay. So, Adam, we got a first human. You with me? A first human. And what the Bible tells us is that God spoke him into existence. He took, he spoke a bunch of stuff, took some dust, formed it up, and it was a dead body laying on the ground. And then God breathes life into him so profound that the very first breath that Adam ever had was actually not his own, but from God. So, God was created. And you go, I mean, God created Adam. And you go, why? Well, same reason you decided to have children. Not because you thought they were going to pay for your retirement, you know, meet all your needs, make you happy, tell you thank you when you do anything for them whatsoever, right? None of those things, right? You, at some point in your spouse, maybe you actually planned this. We did that once. That was helpful. The second one, uh-oh, but, the, you know, maybe you planned it. 
And when you planned it, you thought it was not like we're ever going to arrive. We're not going to have enough money. You didn't have to meet all the checkpoints. You just thought for some reason, some reason, that you could offer love and support and care to some little baby. Right? You, you made that decision. In other words, you and your spouse, or if you made the decision, had enough love, in fact, had more than enough love, that you could then pour it out into a child. In fact, you had the first child, and then you got nervous because you're like, what about the second child? Am I going to love the second child the same way I love the first child? Right? And something happens. You have the second child, and guess what happens? Somehow, like, exponential love is in this created. Right? Like, it just, you know this, the capacity just increases. Well, the, the biblical worldview of God is that God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is really important. There is no other worldview that puts God in three distinct persons. If you can see the little stockings back there, they're dark right the second. There's one that has God, one that has the Holy Spirit, one that has Jesus, right? That's the triune uh, stockings there. And so, but the idea of God is that he existed in three distinct persons, which is so important. Because every other worldview says that somehow God made people. And then decided that they should worship him, serve him, obey him, right? It was an act of power and authority to make people. Now, some of the world, you say, eventually he decides to love them, or he does love them, but a lot of it's in response to how they respond to him, right? Well, in the Christian worldview, because God exists in three distinct people, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three distinct, one God, three distinct personalities, three distinct people, right? So, and ways you can say, I'm just thinking about water, H2O, it's just H2O, but it's also steam, it's also, you know, ice, it's also liquid, right? So, you know, same, de- same one structure, three distinct persons, and you can go back and listen to the Holy Spirit sermon series to get some of that if you need more information or, or ask the question on overtime. Right. But, so three distinct persons, but what we can understand is that God had, in that three distinct per- person, the three distinct God, he had perfect community, perfect community, had no needs. He didn't need anything from anyone else. So he didn't create people because he was needy. He had perfect connection. He didn't create people because he was bored. And he had perfect, in fact, infinite love. And we know, right now you know this, what do you do when you have more than you need? None of you want to throw it away. Right? Nobody just wants to throw stuff in the trash. If you have more than you need and you run out of room in your closet, you have all this stuff, what do you do with that stuff? Well, you find someone, something to give those things away. Right? When you have more than you need, what do you do? You give it away. So the infinite triune God had more love, more compassion than he needed, right? And so what does he do? He speaks humans into existence to pour out that love, pour out that presence on us. So now we have an understanding of why we were created, and it's because God wanted to love you. In fact, when God tells us how he solved the problems in John chapter 3, it starts for God so loved the world. You got it? So God so loved that he created humans to pour his presence into it. And here's what's so amazing. God made human, Adam. And then he looked at Adam and he says something so strange. He says, oh, it's not so good for man to be alone. What he just made him. He's there with God. Why is he saying that? And he gives us some, some really unique understanding that not only did God create us to have this great relationship and presence with our Heavenly Father, he acknowledges in the beginning that he actually created other humans to also bring hope and connection and love to one another. So he, he takes Adam, he puts him to sleep, and he takes a rib out and creates Eve. And then he makes a declaration that this is good. So, the fact that many of you are really, really sad about Thanksgiving right now, that your family's not going to be there, it makes perfect sense. Because you were created for that. You're created for that connection. 
The fact that there's so much pain and sorrow in our world right now and people are all in their homes by themselves. They weren't created for that. Now, I don't have all the solutions for it, but we've got to figure this out because they were created for human connection. God, in the beginning, created Adam because he wanted to give him his presence. And then he created Eve because he wanted them to have each other's presence. So there's something so significant about God being with us and us taking God everywhere we go and being with other people. So in the very beginning, thousands of years back in human history, we have a timeline, and we have Adam, we understand while he was created. Now, you go, well, that's really, really cute and nice, but I don't really feel God's presence. It's interesting. In Genesis 2 and 3, we see the story. Adam and Eve say we, they like their plan better than God's, and you're going to see God looks at that with disgust and pain and sorrow and can't, looks away from sin and brokenness. And literally, and says that God walked in the garden in the cool of the night, so it went from God's presence, God's affirmation, God's, you know, love, grace, right there with them. And all of a sudden, he separates those things from Adam and Eve. But in it, he makes a promise that one day he'll resolve all those things. Now, we now know that that promise goes thousands of years in the future, and it's going to be fulfilled in Jesus. And he even tells them, hey, What's going to happen to Eve? Through your offspring, meaning through a bunch of humans, all down the line is going to come a Savior, and he is going to be God, and he's going to be perfect, and he's going to bring you his presence now and for all eternity. So all the way back here in eternity past where Adam starts is this, this promise, and this whole timeline continues to show this promise. But it gets really, really ugly. One of the next people you see is Noah. Noah, God looks at a whole world and wipes it out, puts it out of his misery, in a merciful way, says there is nothing good. No one is being gracious and kind. No one is receiving my presence. No one's offering my presence. And God literally hits the reset button. Hits the reset button. And if you go from Genesis 3 to Genesis 10, it is a devastating story. It's a story over and over again of people destroying each other's lives, hurting each other, bringing so much pain and so much sorrow. And so God makes a promise to Noah that he will make a way where there is no way and that he looks on Noah with favor meaning he gave Noah grace to restart this thing and says hey I'll never wipe it out again in other words from this point forward I'm going to have a solution where this is going to be solved and it's going to be solved by my presence and then uh, Genesis chapter 10 and 11 things finally change and a guy named Abraham who's Abram who is a pagan not a God worshiper God shows up one day and goes hey Abram why don't you look up at the stars see all those stars I'm going to make you a nation of that many people. And you're going to be a blessing to generation after generation after generation. And for thousands of years, through your offspring, you're going to receive blessing. Right? And so he makes this promise. And Abram, whose name means daddy, gets a new name meaning Abraham, which just means big daddy. And in his old age, he has a child named Isaac, who has a child named Jacob, who has 12 children. I can't tell you, I can't, I'm not going to name all the names. I don't know that I even can. Anyway, so yeah, 12 children, they're going to become this great nation of Israel, and God is going to give that nation his presence. He's going to show them that's a way. But then they're going to continue to go, God, we like our plan better than yours, and they're going to end up in pain and sorrow and captivity. And then God's going to take a new leader. His name's going to be Moses. And one day Charlton Heston's going to play him and he's going to say, let my people go, right? And so Moses is going to be a guy who's going to lead the nation out of captivity back into God's presence. 
In fact, there's going to be this tabernacle that's going to be met, built where they can get close to God. They can't quite get to him, but they'll know where he is. They know where his presence is. They can go and they can get right up next to the wall to be close to God. Not quite have access to him, but to think about the options and the opportunities that one day get his presence. And there's going to be this promise to Moses that one day God is going to bring us back his presence through Jesus. And so see the story continue and the Israelites continue to do messy things and they keep going, you know, we don't want this stuff. You know what we want? We want a king like all the other nations have. So God's going to give them a bunch of kings. Some are going to be good. One in particular, his name is going to be David. And a thousand years before Jesus shows up, David is going to come and he's going to rule a nation. He's going to cast vision for a temple where God's presence will dwell. His son will end up building it. And a thousand years before, God's going to tell David and tell a lot of people that through his offspring, just like he said to Adam's wife Eve, through his offspring is going to come the fulfillment of all the promises. Through his offspring, there's going to be a baby that's going to be born. And for a thousand years earlier, that's what was heard. And then about 600 uh, B.C., God had been speaking through all these prophets and all these uh, people declaring people should turn their face back towards him. They, they should repent. They should trust him fully. And they're not going to do it. And then what's going to happen 400 years there's just going to be this dark quiet period where people don't think that God loves them. They're going to wonder if God is ever going to bring his presence back. And it's going to be a period of mourning and grieving and concern and worry and pain wondering if God is ever going to do it. There's all these promises, but they haven't been fulfilled yet. And the Jews are going to be taken over by different nations and different cultures. And we find ourselves 400 years of this, that right about here, there's a new empire, and there's a new language, a new culture. And, it, and so you're going to see the Bible actually transition from Hebrew to Greek, because everything kind of changes. And in this moment, these, the Jews find themselves in oppression and pain and sorrow. And then there's going to be this whisper. John the Baptist first is going to say, Prepare the way of the Lord and make straight pasture and remove every mountaintop, fill in every valley, make every crooked path straight so that all mankind can see God's salvation, his promise, his fulfillment of his presence. He's actually going to say, Repent for the kingdom of God is near. And he's actually going to say something even crazier. He's going to say, behold the lamb of God. And they're going, whoa, whoa, we know about the lamb. Moses had to slaughter lambs. So in that point forward, people have been slaughtering lambs saying, God, you're better than our best sacrifice. And he's going to say, behold the lamb of God, talking about Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world to all this stuff. It's kind of playing out. So we find ourselves in Luke chapter 5 today. Right here, Jesus has died. He's come back to life. And Luke is telling us the story of one of the really, really significant moments that Jesus, in his early ministry, interacts with a person who needs real, sincere healing. He's in pain and sorrow. He's an outcast. He is alone. He has no presence. Not from God, not from people. And that's where we find ourselves. So Luke is going to tell this crazy story that Jesus does. And I want to begin by reading it to you and then making some observations. So Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, here's what it says. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. 
When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, can you make me clean? So, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, in his timeline, collides, intersects with this leper. I don't know if you know much about leprosy. It's easy just to gloss over and go, oh, okay, yeah, skin disease. But this thing is horrendous and horrific. And it uh, does damage to your body. And a few uh, other skin issues, think of them like shingles or some nerve damage that happens and other things that can happen. But leprosy has a real uh, way of getting into your body, doing nerve damage to the point where you can't feel or touch anything. No, you, uh, no. So you can't even you can't even feel a hug. Have no nerve. Point. What usually happens is people who have really terrible leprosy end up having to have their toes cut off or their finger removed. Once it gets to that level, they can't touch. So they don't. They can't feel the pain if something happens to their hands, right? And so what ends up happening is you see over and over again that these these extremities are cut off. We think about it and go, oh, yeah, that's a 2,000-year you know, issue back in the day. Not really an issue now. No, it still is an issue. In fact, in Brazil, Indonesia, India, in fact, half of all current leprosy you know, diagnoses come from India. And I'm going to show you something for just a second. And you may want to prepare. You may not want to. You might want to look away. You might want to look down. This is like the scary moment in a movie. Um, I want you because I want you to see that that this person who just comes show it to you there's two different ones here's the first one real quick here's a person with leprosy here and this isn't 2,000 years ago this is right now that's a real human who's in real pain to the point where she's lost the ability to her nerve endings and so you see what happens and here's another one that's not uh, 2,000 years ago that's right now right now you see his hands See what's happened to his eyes. You see those things. You can take those down. But 2,000 years ago, leprosy was considered a death sentence. And once you got it, there wasn't really a solution for healing. Uh, there are all sorts of kind of snake oil type of options and, you know, some different witch doctors who offered different things. But there wasn't much of an option. And so lepers, uh, when they became, got this uh, skin disorder, uh, would be outcast death sentence. And because people were so fearful of that they would get it as well, they were not allowed to be near other humans. This man was not allowed. In fact, um, typically there would be some kind of setup where, I mean, we actually understand this better because of what's going on with COVID that people would bring the leper food, but they'd sit it in a certain spot and have to sit there for two or three days and the leper could come get it because there's just like this long separation from human interaction for the leper. And if a leper ever had to go into any kind of village or place, right, they'd literally have to walk in any other place, any place they were ever near, screaming, I am unclean. I am unclean. I am unclean. And what would happen is people would scream like this was like an evil virus about to take over the place. Scream and they'd all run away. So you got to understand when this man shows up here to Jesus, that's been his experience. Years of loneliness. I don't know if he was married. Doesn't matter. Can't be with his wife. Kids. He can FaceTime. 
right? You understand, like, this is deeply painful, you know, physically. Horrifically painful, mentally. Like, he had no presence. So what's happening is Jesus has been doing, uh, kind of starting his ministry in this little bitty fishing town, Capernaum. Uh, we'll go back and forth. We'll be back in Capernaum next week. And so we can even probably deduce that this is somewhere right around Capernaum. This is coming in, and there's some whispers about him. He started doing some pretty amazing things. Like last week we saw that he was casting out demons and making, you know, people who were sick. He brought healing to them. So all of a sudden, this moment we see is these people are hearing it. And this leper, who's not supposed to be in town, who would have had to have screamed as he walked in, I am unclean, I am unclean. If he doesn't, he's murdered. I am unclean. I am unclean. So he shows up there, and he says to Jesus, which is, he fell with his face to the ground. Okay? This is pretty interesting. So he falls. You, you know what that is? It's called worship. I want you to see this. Really, really important that you see this. This is a man in deep pain, deep sorrow, all alone in isolation, and the first thing he does is worship. See, we're different in that. We'll say, hey, God, we'll worship if you will. Fill in the blank, right? Um, if you'll fix my marriage, then I'll worship you. If you bring healing to me, then I'll worship you. If you get out of the set, then I'll worship you, right? There's like this genie in a bottle contingency plan where we believe we, the way that we worship is we respond because God has done good to us, right? So in this moment, you see a guy who has every reason to believe that God is not loving, not gracious, or not real, or kind. Everybody else should look at him as he is a deep sinner. There are some times in the scripture some Old Testament kings, one in particular who God literally gives leprosy to as a result of a sin. But this wasn't a result of sin. Not every person who got sick was because they did something wrong. And so this guy could think that it's unjust and unfair and rightfully so. So in all these things. But his response in this moment is he actually worships first. And he bows down and he worships and he begs him. And this is what he says. It's so important. He goes, Lord. Okay? He calls him boss. And this moment, the first thing he does is go, you're in charge. He's acknowledging to Jesus, you are in charge. You are the boss. You're the one who sustains the son, right? Lord, and then he says this, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. In other words, hey, I've heard these promises about you, and it sure seems like God one day is going to make a way where there is no way, and it seems like if you're the Lord, you're the one who can make a way where there is no way, so I think you can make me clean. Right? And so this has all sorts of ramifications. You go back to Isaiah 1 where God actually describes the nation of Israel and people using things like leprosy to go, you are broken and dirty. So God would take the skin disease and point out that worse dirtiness is not on our skin but in our heart. Right? And so this picture, while we're seeing it very clearly here, is this person's unclean. What God's going to do is show us something really neat about what he's going to do to dirtiness. But he goes, if you are willing, meaning... You can do this, but I'm not sure you want to. Now, before we even get to the supernatural event, I think it's really important just to point this out. Because you, you feel the same thing. Like, many of us think that God is real and loving and gracious. But we're just not so sure that God wants to bring his healing and hope to us. Now, this leper may have thought he deserved whatever it is. Maybe he thought that there's sin in his life. There was, by the way, because there's that in all of us. And he may think that this is the lot that he deserves. So he understands his ailment and his pain and his sorrow. And he understands the possibility that this is the Lord, the God of the universe who's before him. And he thinks he can make him clean. But he is wondering 
whether or not he will. He's just going, if, if you're willing. Meaning, he knows of his power, right? That's how many of us kind of land. We believe that there's a God who sustains the world, right? It's hard to come up with a different solution where atoms just bump together. We believe there's some intelligent designer out there. What we are uncertain of is whether that intelligent designer has, wants anything to do with us. You see what happened 2,000 years, or six, seven, lots of thousands of years earlier, right? Four, five, six. In this moment, Adam and Eve say, we don't really care about your plan. We don't really care about your presence. We like our plan better than yours. And God says, you can have your way. And throughout human history, he's been giving us the option of having our way. And the whisper that started with Adam, that's, run through this timeline is this whisper from the enemy, the same one who tempted, says, he doesn't really love you. He doesn't really care about you. And if other people knew you, they wouldn't love you either. Right? The whisper in our mind is going, why in the world if God's out there, he would want anything to do with me. So this leper shows up. Positioned in a place of worship, but also positioned in a place of suspicion because he's not sure God will be willing. And I want you to see the very next words out of Jesus' mouth. Watch what happens. Verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. He brought his physical presence, not just his emotional presence. He touches the man. And some of you, you, you know this and you can, there's all sorts of really great um, psychology on this now about our, our, our different systems and that and one of them particularly talks about how we, we can elevate into some big spikes and get in some mid, pretty messy areas in our life, just out of control. Uh, one of the real simple fixes of this for your children or for your spouse or is some deep breathing and, crazy, a hug. Even for those of you who go, I'm not a hugger. There's something about real, genuine touch that changes. And, and we know this, right? Like We know this in child psychology. We have enough data now to look at the tragedy and devastation of like Romanian adoption or orphanages from 40, 50 years ago. You probably had an image in your head of a baby rattling the, the, you know, the crib, right? And just the real physiological, psychological, sociological, emotional damage that happens when a child isn't touched when they're being developed. Like, so, so we understand this. Do you understand this leper had not been touched in years? nothing. And all of a sudden, Jesus' first response, the king of the universe is to reach out and touch him to offer his physical presence. And then watch his first words. I am willing. So if there is a passage, is there a thing that I want to set up and it's going to take us a long time, right? And I'll put a bow on this one today, I promise. Like a literal bow. But it's going to take some time. But if there is a passage, a, a couple verses that I want you to get in your head and understand about the God of the universe before we move forward with anything else. It's those three words. I am willing. You might not think it. You might not think you deserve it. You might not think God cares. You might not think he is even capable, but he is both capable and hear me. He is willing. He's willing to meet you exactly where you are. The story of the timeline is God promised that he would bring himself and hit all the fulfillment of his promises right here in Adam. Thousand years later, he shows up and his words to the leper are, I am willing and I am suspicious that you and I don't really believe that. But he's willing. 
And maybe the biggest obstacle for you in all the reading and understanding of the Christmas series is just to finally come to the conclusion that what God says here is true and all of his words are. Right? That he says he is willing. Hear me, if you don't know who God is, don't think he loves you, don't think he's real, he is still willing to meet you where you are and meet your needs. Get you out of the mess you're in and get you into the life that he has for you. This isn't some, you know, puppies and rainbows. Not going to be easy, but he's willing to meet you where you are. And he goes, I am willing, he said. Watch what happens. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, I don't know exactly how this works because I don't know how far down the line is. I don't know if he had lost his fingers, his extremities, and I don't know in this moment, and those things regenerate. I have no idea what happens here. I just know all of a sudden God speaks. You get this, like God's word has that kind of power. He speaks life. He speaks healing. He says, I am willing, and all he's got to say is one thing, be clean, and in this moment, this leper is made clean. Why does not? Clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Watch this. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, <laughs> but go, show yourself to the priest. So funny. Don't tell anyone. And he's like, you know, like you're not supposed to tell anyone. He goes and tells everyone, right? You see it in the next couple of verses. Everybody hears about it. Don't tell anyone. He goes and tells everyone. He tells us to go tell everyone, and we're like, we're not going to tell anyone. See how messed up this whole system is, right? So like after resurrection, he goes and tells Mary, go tell, right? And he t in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples. And this guy, he goes, don't tell anyone. He goes, I got to tell everyone. And Jesus goes, no, 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 you have the power. Go tell everyone. You're like, I'm not sure I want to tell anyone. So in this moment, what happens is he says, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now my guess is this is not part of the verse that we usually pay attention to. Yay, the leper's healed. We get to the next verse. All these people uh, get, you know, come and want more healing. And then it says Jesus withdrew the wilderness to pray. We'll get to that next week. Really important. So we're bringing people to Jesus' presence. There's some work we have to do. We'll get there. But my guess is, if you've ever heard this passage, you haven't spent much time in this verse where Jesus tells the leper to go and tell the priest. So, you're going, why in the world does he do that? Like, this is a Jewish priest. This is a priest who probably doesn't even believe Jesus is Lord. So what's going on here? Okay, a lot is going on here. So what's happening here is this is a reference to Leviticus chapter 14. Okay, that's in the Old Testament. I would say if you want to go spend some time studying it, it'd be really, really worth your time. Really neat stuff. So this is back all the way over here, right, with Moses. Okay, so God frees his people, creates a nation, leads them into and calls them to a promised land. They're being rebellious into entering the promised land, so but God still meets them where they are, and they keep going, God, we just want to hear you. So God gives them his voice. He speaks to them. God, we just would love to know what you want us to do. We'll follow all your rules, and God gives them a lot of rules, not because he thought they'd follow them, but the exact opposite, knowing that they wouldn't follow them. And so there is a book of rules, like a constitution for the, you know, the, the, the nation of Israel, and it's the book of Leviticus. Leviticus has the same root word as Levi, which is the priestly tribe of the nation of Israel. So these are all the people who worked really hard to help people who are dirty get some semblance of cleaning. Why? Because the nation thought it was still their duty to make themselves clean. So the, the number one goal here of all these rules was for God to help people get some emotional intelligence, some self-awareness to finally come to the conclusion we are dirty and we can't clean ourselves. But God, if you're willing, 
right? Whole thing. And there was this whole part specifically on leprosy in Leviticus chapter 14. And every now and then, there would be a miraculous hearing, I mean healing, from the God of the universe who would come in and heal a leper. Since I'm not going to read to you Leviticus 14, I'm going to kind of give you a, kind of a, a, a brief overview of how it works. So if a leper were to have miraculous healing, like this one in the New Testament, right here, way over here, if it were to happen anywhere here, or even up to this time, what they would do is they would make an appointment with a priest. Okay? And then them and the priest would meet in some third place. Not at the priest's home, because he didn't want the leper there. Right? So they'd meet in some place outside the city. And the priest would do kind of a medical examination. And he would make a, a diagnosis of whether or not he believed the leper was healed. Okay? So priest, leper, so it happened. So Jesus is telling this leper, which is nice because Luke's a doctor, so he's already defined what this guy had, right? Hey, now that you're clean, go find a priest because there is something, the ritual that now happens for Jewish people. So the, all the way back in the time, Leviticus chapter 14 says they would go and they'd talk. And if the priest declared he was clean, something crazy would happen. He would go get two birds, or the leper would go get two birds, okay? And he would make a sacrifice. One bird would get slaughtered. The other bird would be free to fly out in the distance. Okay? You got it? So one slaughtered, one uh, was basically uh, sacrificed. Right? There was bloodshed for this, this leper's life, and then there was a bird sacrifice. You go, well, why does that happen? Well, in, uh, a little bit later in Leviticus chapter 16, then 20, uh, Leviticus 23, there's this new day that's presented. It's called the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is what we call Yom Kippur. And in Yom Kippur, there's this very similar thing that would happen where the priest would take two goats. And one of the goats would be slaughtered. Blood would be shed. You'd be slaughtered. Blood would be shed. And then the other goat would be freed. This goat, called the scapegoat. Sacrificial goat, scapegoat. So what was happening in the Yom Kippur moment, they were basically saying, hey, there is actually covering of your life and your sin and your brokenness. There is forgiveness to be had for you. And the way that it happens is it is shed blood. It is sacrifice. You go, that's the weirdest sacrifice. I'm, get, I'm saying, well, the reality is every single sin has a sacrifice. If I go and hit your car right now, sinfully, either I'm paying to fix it or you're going, oh, you're the pastor. I can't make you do that. Or you're paying to fix it, right? Every single thing in our life, there is someone who's making a sacrifice. Every single time. And so what would happen for the Israelites, what God would show is that there was a different way to handle sin, and there was a sacrifice to be made, shed blood, that would cover the sin. Now, what happened is the shed blood would cover the sin, but then they would see the sin injected into the other goat, who would be the scapegoat, who would show that the sins were taken as far as the east is from the west. Got it? So one bird slaughtered, one bird freed. Hey, leper, you no longer have this filth. You are clean. Your sin has been covered. Your life has been covered by shed blood. And that sin in your life has been injected, metaphorically, into the bird, and the bird has been freed to fly away. Same thing with the goat. The goat has been freed to go away. The sin goes with the goat. Hooray. The people have a year to fill their sin back up. Right? That's what the Yom Kippur was. And so what happened is this leper would go, and he would have this moment... Uh, and in that moment, they'd sacrifice one bird. They'd free the other bird, understanding that there was pain and consequences for sin, but that there was also freedom that was given. Okay? So, and then after that, they'd throw a party. 
a week-long party. Guys, we've got to start reading more about the Jews and their parties because we are, we are doing something wrong here. As it goes to weddings, right? They would party. And we're doing something wrong here as it goes to death and funeral. They would grieve deeply and not just get about their day, right? So there's some things, a different talk. But they had this huge party. Now, can you imagine this party? This guy has not maybe seen his wife or kids. Could you imagine what that would be like? Like old colleagues? We don't know. How to, so they're he- hearing about this, and they're going, we can go be around him again. Like, again, there was no digital form of communication. They couldn't even receive a letter from this guy because it was filthy, right? So in those moments, they would get to engage, and in the middle of the party, something crazy would happen. They would slaughter at least a lamb, probably three lambs, so they'd slaughter a lamb. Well, hear me, this is what's crazy. There'd be the ceremony, and they'd slaughter the lamb. And this is in reference to Moses and the calling of the Israelites and the Passover, the story where basically anybody who trusted God to pass over their house and not bring death or you know, damnation to them, they would cover their house with lamb's blood, showing that they were making a sacrifice of their perfect lamb. So they would take these perfect lambs and they would sacrifice them. And as they would sacrifice them, the priests would do something crazy, really neat ceremony. They'd take the blood. And they take a little bit of blood and they put it on his ear. Okay? They put it on his ear. And they take more blood and they put it on his hand. You can go read it. I'm not making up any of this. This is crazy. And then they take a little bit of blood and they put it on his feet. Why? They're now telling the leper, you are in God's graces. He has covered your sin. He has brought you healing. You are clean. So, hear from him hear from him, right? The scriptures tell us it is impossible to, like, please God without faith, and faith comes from hearing. But you know what else it says? Hearing comes from the word of God. Faith comes from hearing, but hearing comes from the word of God. So he's going, no, no, no. Consume this. Learn all about him, right? Some of you, you came to faith later in life, and you can't get enough of this stuff, right? He's like, I just want to, I want to know it. Like, why didn't I not know this? Like, even now, you're going, why did I not know that about Leviticus? And the right? there's just so much nuance and beauty in it, and he's going, hey, hear, hear from him put it on his hands. Go be his hands. Go be his servants to the world. Know that you're healed. Know that you're free. Hear from him and go do his good works. Feet. And go wherever he calls you to go. Go wherever he calls you to go. So this leper would have had this week-long ceremony and it's just beautiful. They would have celebrated. And guess what they'd do? Right? Before the ceremony would happen, he'd get a bath. First one probably in years. And they'd shave every part of him. So he'd look like a new baby. Right, like this is a new life. And then all these people would come, and those people were dirty, right? And so they'd get this, like, this big ordination, right? This commissioning of him, and then they'd all go, and he'd get another shave and another bath. And at the end of the party, he was perfectly clean like a baby, white as snow. And he would be commissioned to go and be in the world. Now, can you imagine how he interacted with people after, after that? Could you imagine how willing he'd be to sit and just listen? Oh, right? We, like, could you imagine what his interactions would be like, his compassion, his mercy? Could you imagine what he was like to the people who felt outcast? Could you imagine this great healing that happened to him and what he would be doing to other people? So when Jesus goes, go to the priest, he was actually, like, pressing the button to, to go and act this whole process where all the people, right? So it says many heard. Well, what do you think they heard? They came to the party. They saw all the stuff. They saw a man who was dirty, who was now clean and commissioned for God. They saw someone who had been completely changed, both physically, but emotionally and spiritually as well. So he tells them to go and do the 
cleansing. It's a really cute story, right? Really neat. Really, really neat. That's such a beautiful story. That's such a beautiful story. So glad that story you could hear and what could happen if we could wrap up right now. And we could end of that and you go, that's a really pretty story of God's grace. But you'd completely miss the whole point of it. You would miss the absolute whole point of it. If we talk about a leper, you got a history lesson and you feel a little bit more informed. Because throughout history, God had been using physical healings to show us spiritual healings. In fact, he used another guy about 700 years earlier from here named Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1, he takes Isaiah chapter 4 through 6, 1, 4 through 6, he takes leprosy to apply it to the whole nation. He says, your heart is like the leper. You're the one who's dirty. So he's calling out all the people, and it sounds really bad. And then he goes on more, and he goes, and you keep offering these silly sacrifices. Right, but you didn't understand what you're doing. You're just bringing these little presents to God. But you're just hoping he'll, you know, pat you on the back and send you in your way and you just go about your life. Like, you, you don't understand that there's something that needs to change. And so Isaiah speaks God's heart. And then that guy goes, I don't want the silly sacrifices. What I want is your ears and your hands and your feet to go be about my business. I want you to take my presence everywhere you go. Right, and so he calls them to it. And at the very end, he says, some of you will never understand this. But those of you who do, your sin, that is red like crimson, will be made white as snow. And so he's making this declaration that one day God would cover us. And you're going, well, the lamb covers us. What? But that's, that's temporary. And so then in Isaiah chapter 53, a little bit later in Isaiah's writings, he goes into really deep detail about what the lamb actually covers and who the actual lamb that covers people are. So he starts, Isaiah chapter 1, to tell you that we all are broken and need cleanliness. We need to be cleansed. And then he tells us that God is willing. And he tells us and goes in great detail how willing he was. In Isaiah 53, this is why I want the time out here. It's so crazy. Isaiah is going to talk in the present tense about something that's going to happen in the future and then he's going to talk in the past tense about something that happened in the past but it will be happening in the present but will be applied to our future it's so so crazy so let me just read it to you Isaiah chapter 53 same writing same person Isaiah helping us know that we are need to be cleansed and that God is willing here's what it says who has believed what he has heard from us do we believe this this is God speaking through Isaiah through God's words do you believe this do you believe I'm willing what he's asking. Do you believe I'm willing? Do you believe I want to bring you cleansing and hope and commission you to do the work of the Lord? Do you believe that? Who is willing? Who has believed this? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For the first time, is your eyes open to this? And then he's going to talk about how many people missed it. Now watch this. Verse 2. For he, he's talking about Jesus here. So 700 years earlier, he is speaking something. So this is like, this is us. Hey, something happened in the future. He is speaking this 700 years earlier. And it says, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. This is even crazier. So Isaiah is talking about 700 years later, Jesus. But he's actually peering back 300 years to David, who's talking about David being born from Jesse. So this root is a, a reference to Jesse, David's dad. And when they first saw David, they thought, there's no way he can be a king. He is scrawny. He's a scrub. And so he's going to go, hey, like they thought that here, they're going to think that here. But he's speaking to these people not, who didn't trust the promise, but also timeless, speaking to these people here. Luke is going to use that and speaking to us here. Crazy, right? And so he says those things. He had no form or majesty 
to look at him. He's like the leper. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. Like the leper, alone, rejected, despised, sorrow. And acquainted with grief, like the leper, felt like an outcast. So when he sees this leper, boy, does he know what it's like. And does he reach out and go, boy, I know what it's like to be despised and rejected. I know what it's like to have these false declarations declared over you. And as one from who men hide their faces. Oh, I know what it's like to walk into a room and feel like I'm saying I'm unclean because everybody just cowers. He was despised. And we, this is to us, this is the 700 years before Jesus, this is the first century Christians, this is all of us, and we esteemed him not. We didn't see him as Lord. We didn't see him as capable. We didn't see him as trustworthy. Surely he was born our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We thought he was not worth following. We thought he was just some scrawny scrub. We thought he was someone who didn't bring us what we wanted, which was a new nation, new freedom, new wealth. Surely he was born our griefs and carried our sorrows. Right? But verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. See this? Isaiah is saying this here. But you see what it, see the word? I want you to see it. Pierced. What, what tense is that? Past tense. He is speaking 700 years early about something that Jesus is going to do, but he's speaking it in past tense. Why is that? Because when God made this promise through Adam, it's as good as done. When God said, through your offspring, Eve, I am going to bring you a savior, right? He's going to strike. Satan's going to strike his heel, but he's going to strike his head. And there's this promise throughout the Old Testament. So what's happening here is Isaiah is going, look, it has already happened because God has already declared it. And this timeline is only for us, not for God. God steps outside this timeline, right? So he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed, past tense, for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace? He's going, no, no, you can have peace, right? Peace. How did you get it? From Jesus as the sacrificial lamb. Now watch this. And with his wounds we are healed. Past tense, past tense. And all of a sudden what he is saying in this moment is he's going, what Jesus did are healed. He is bringing this to David. He's bringing it to Moses. He's bringing it to Abraham. He's bringing it to Noah. With his stripes, right over here, he's covering the whole timeline. With his stripes, Adam is healed. With his stripes, the leper is healed. With his stripes, Luke is healed. Theophilus is healed. And guess who else is healed? Every single one of us. Because he's willing and he's able. And so if I could convince you of something, it's this. If I could convince you of something, I would convince you that there is a present for you and it is good and it is gracious and it is kind and it is worthy of trusting and opening and receiving. But I can't promise you what's in it, so don't hope that I'm going to open it. I don't know what your lot is, but I'm telling you, whatever it is is good. And the reason I know this, the reason I know it wholeheartedly, completely, the reason I know it is because this whole story, whole story, His whole story, every single bit of a story, every single bit of it, 
every single bit of the timeline, every single bit of the pain throughout human history, every single bit of it, a single part of this, not a single part of it, bow is supposed to work and it's going to we're not leaving here till it does <laughs> yep here's the bow every single bit of his timeline every single bit of his timeline <laughs> was writing the story every single bit every single bit of the package throughout human history he was writing this entire story for you and I every single bit so what he was promising Adam he was taking this whole timeline and wrapping it in a package for you for me and there are very few things that we can put nice little bows on very few things but the story of the gospel is one and I don't know what the package holds for you I'm not telling you you pray the prayer and everything gets fixed in your life but I am telling you 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 ask Jesus into your life. You ask him if he's willing. He is saying, yes, I'm willing. And he will bring you healing. And he will call you clean. And he will bring you his presence. And then he'll call you to take that presence to everyone else. I'm not telling you what's in the package. But I'm telling you that what's in the package is far beyond what you could ever hope or imagine. And that he's going to take all of it and bring it together for our good and his glory. How do I know? Because of the timeline. I don't know because throughout human history he's promised it and he has never not kept his word. How do I know? Because what he did was reckless and crazy. And yet he did it. There is no mountain he won't climb up. There's no wall he won't kick down. There's nothing. And so what's going to happen is we're going to conclude in a song that declares the promise what Jesus came to do because he has underwritten all of his promises with his own blood. 1 John 1, 9, it says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Now watch this. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's the good news of today. Whether you're online, out in the parking lot, or right here in this room, you can receive his presence, and you can be cleansed of all unrighteousness, and you can walk out here a child of God, pure and blameless, white as snow. Why? Because Jesus is willing. So I want you to sing this song with me, and then I'll come up here and close us in prayer. So would you join me in singing? You could stand or sit, whatever. You choose.
May I offer you a quick benediction for those of you in the room, online, out in the parking lot. May you all walk in his healing and peace. May we hear your word, God. May we go and be your hands and feet. May we go to whoever you call us to go to and serve whoever you called us to serve this week. Would you be blessed and walk in his joy and gratitude this week? Love you guys.